for hybrid companies, I would suggest that they go back to the office completely. And it's for a couple factors, but the biggest one is something that we define as distance bias. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group, specialist HR recruiters. Now, whether you're listening to this for the first time or the hundredth time, let me take this opportunity to say thank you for joining me today because we are exploring a subject that is really hot topic for all of you in HR at the moment, which is remote working and why in particular it's the future because today I'm joined by Liam Martin who is a serial entrepreneur who runs Time Doctor and Staff.com and is one of the most popular time tracking and productivity software platforms in use by top brands today. However, Liam is also a co-organizer of the world's largest remote work conference, Running Remote. He's an avid proponent of remote working, and he's been published in Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, the Huffington Post, as well as many other publications as well, all of where he's had the opportunity to share his knowledge on the expansion of remote work. And as an advocate of remote working, Liam is joining us today on the HLND podcast to talk about his remote work methodology and his book, Running Remote, in more detail. because. He believes he's unearthed the secrets and the lessons required. And these are things you're all talking about in the HR community at the moment, about how to deliver remote working solutions in the most seamless, hassle-free and cost-effective manner possible. Liam says remote work is the future. The office is dead. And I'm here to help you move your company remote or scale the remote organization towards success. So rather than me tell you how to do that, because I'm not the expert, I'm going to introduce Liam to the show. Liam, welcome to the HLND podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, Nick. Really appreciate being here. And that was an amazing introduction, by the way. I've done 394 <laughs> of these, and that's definitely like the top 5% that I've, done, that I've seen so far. Great. Well, I'll take that. I'll take that. Fantastic. <laughs> well, so I'm going to start with the first question, which might be a new one, despite all those podcasts you've done before, which is mm-hmm. this specific from our audience here. What do the words human resources mean to you? So I cheated. I Googled it beforehand. And nice. Google says it's uh, the ability for managers to plan, coordinate, and direct the administrative functions of an organization. And I think that that is a really boring definition of human (laughs) resources. I think for me, and again, this is just, I think that human resources is really kind of bringing in the vision of the company and allowing that vision to scale. So that's really how I see human resources getting people on and off the bus towards, this is the company that we're building. This is the huge problem that we're tackling. The most important thing that you can do as a founder is you can educate your HR leader or leaders to be able to understand that vision forwards and backwards and use them as a filtering process to be able to only bring you candidates that are aligned towards that vision. And if you can do that, I think you'll have a fantastic company. There are plenty of companies that I've seen that follow that exact same methodology as well. And then there are other companies that don't. And you know, some of them find some levels of success, but actually I think over an extended amount of time, you're probably going to fail because really remote work, well, not just remote work, work in general is all about aligning 
people towards a vision of what they want the company to do and where we want to go as an organization. Great. Well, I think they, the audience are going to much prefer the, your, your version of what HR uh, is than the, the Google version. So I appreciate that. But listen, before we jump into what remote working is now, it's hot topic because post-pandemic, everyone now has obviously had to work from home. They want to sustain that, 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 that way of working, that way of life, and not everyone wants to go back. But the reality is the origins of working from home right, or remote working, as it may be, depending on where you are, of course, based, it's not a new concept, right? So I wonder if you could just give us a little bit more of the history into remote working. And, and you know, this is not a new concept, although it's new to many of us. So I wonder if you could just give us some of the origins. Yeah, it's hilarious when I think about where we come from. I've been working remotely for almost 20 years. Yeah. And there was a very solid, active community pre-pandemic. Uh, running remote, which we had mentioned before, is largest conference on remote work. In 2019, when we had our last event that was in person, we had 750 people. That was the biggest conference on remote work, but they were incredibly passionate, focused individuals that were really trying to figure out how to build and scale remote organizations, not just as a lifestyle business, but as like an actual business like Coinbase and Shopify and WordPress and GitLab, which are all companies that do tens to hundreds of billions of dollars in valuation and are entirely remote. But around February, probably most of you know that, you know, there were a couple of changes that happened in the world economy. 4% of the U.S. workforce was remote in February of 2020. By March, that was 45% of the U.S. workforce. That's the biggest shift in labor since the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. But yeah. the Industrial Revolution took about 80 years to do, and we did that in March. So a complete change of how remote work or how work is being done. And right now we're sitting at approximately 30% of the U.S. workforce working remotely. And I think you can extend that for most of Western countries as well, where we're seeing that as effectively the bottom 5% of workers right now state that they are working from home due to COVID in the United States. So we're effectively at basically COVID zero. So that 30% of the workforce that's currently working remotely is doing it by choice. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that's kind of probably what we're seeing the same in the, here in the UK as well. And um, I think the reality is a lot of people used to have businesses saying, you know, you can't work from home because of X, Y, and Z reason. You must be in the office because X, <coughs> Y, and Z can't be delivered. And actually what's happened is it's been forced upon them and performance hasn't dropped. And in many examples, it's the, on the other way, on the other way, people have saved money on commuting and other bits and pieces. And actually it's been, they found a new way of working and all those old reasons that were there before to say, you have to be in the office have kind of been made redundant overnight. I mean, such a transitional shift, but why do you think it needed a pandemic for that to happen? Why do you think there was the, the uptake was so slow initially? Was it about, trust in that instance that I gave? Was it about micromanagement? Because we're not just seeing a, a change in the way that we're working. We're, see, we're seeing a change in the leadership as well. There's been a massive shift in the way that we sure. lead, being more output-led now and less, you know, less command and control. What's, what's your... Um, so I'll your give it a better definition. To me, the, the word that I would choose is there was a fear of autonomy. Okay. So autonomy is actually, a, and I, I choose my word specifically, when you think about trust, I actually still think there needs to be trust inside of remote work. I mean, I don't know about you, but I see an article almost every day because I'm in this all the time Yeah. of um, remote employee works three jobs and makes $700,000 a year, right? Like there are those articles that are coming out there. Now, to be completely honest with you, if you're happy with someone's performance and they're doing the job, does it matter if they have two other jobs? 
it might from a legal perspective, but from an actual, like from an epistemological perspective, uh, I don't really care whether or not you do 10 jobs or whether you just do my job, but I just want the work done. Yeah. And autonomy is the core component that I think most of the remote pioneers were really focused on. And you need to be able to pull that autonomy inside of your organization, which effectively means the ability for people to be able to, you direct people to say, we need to go from A to B, but you choose how to go from A to B. That is up to you as the individual employee. It is not up to me as the employer. So that removes a lot of the micromanagement components that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Obviously, there's a bit of a feedback loop issue where there are some times where maybe someone's going in the wrong direction for a week when they're working from home and maybe you would have caught it in a day if they were working in an office. But those examples are few and far between, to be completely honest with you. Have you have you done any measurement on, um, because this is all output-led stuff, right? So the idea being, if you have a different structure, you give them, you have that autonomy, providing the outputs are met, then you're happy with them doing their job. Have, you, have there been any statistics released on how how productivity may have gone up in that scenario or how we can help managers to trust more in that kind of scenario? So I can definitely tell you that autonomy is probably one of the biggest employee perks um, for, okay. ex- for extending retention inside of organizations. There is a lot of research that has been done on that. There hasn't been much research done on the points that you were talking about before. And the issue is just because it's so new. So I'm sure the studies are currently being done. It's a very exciting time, to be honest with you, in remote work. I mean, when I think about February of 2020, we were thinking, oh, man, you know, maybe we'd get to six to seven percent of the U.S. workforce working remotely. 45% the next month, it completely blew us away. And obviously the pandemic was horrible, but I actually think this is a fantastic silver lining, which is the genie's out of the bottle and everyone was able to try remote work. They were able to try it on. I spoke to a founder of a company that you would know um, worth a hundred plus billion dollars. And he said, Liam, we always wanted to go remote but the pandemic stopped us, the, or sorry, the board stopped us. So they wouldn't allow us to actually make this decision, but the yeah. pandemic forced us into that situation. So now the people that were kind of almost friendly to remote work pre-pandemic are staying remote completely. The people that were kind of on the fence are going with the hybrid solution. And then the people that hated remote work before the pandemic, a lot of those people are trying to drag their people back into the office, but it's actually creating a lot of big problems inside of their organizations. Being, being such an advocate for remote working, do you have a, a view on, because you mentioned hybrid working then, and I would say certainly in the UK and in, in the employment space that we work in, and we, we, we recruit actually across, across Europe and into the US as well. Mm-hmm. We're still seeing hybrid now as being the most popular option that employers are taking and actually what most candidates tend to want as well it's like a little bit of office maybe it's because they're still getting used to that new environment but that the, the overriding results that we're seeing as a recruiter is that hybrid is the preferred option do yes. you have a preferred option in terms of the way things are working are you a, a, an advocate of 100 percent remote working or do you think actually hybrid is the best balance or does it depend uh- Yeah. I mean, I would say hybrid is the least successful option. It's the option that has the biggest opportunity to fail, to be completely honest with you. And I know that that's an unpopular opinion because the majority of the market is going hybrid. Yeah. But I actually, in a lot of cases for hybrid companies, I would suggest that they go back to the office completely. And it's for a couple factors, but the biggest one is something that we define as distance bias. 
So this was this has been a term that's been used in the HR industry for a while, but we've specifically grabbed it for remote work, which is effectively distance bias or proximity bias, is that the closer you are to the decision maker or to your manager, the more your ideas get adopted inside of the organization. So let's say you have a board meeting with five in-person employees and three people on Zoom. You have the meeting, you say, hey, we're going to do A. Those three people pop off of Zoom. And then I say, hey, Nick, listen, Liam's an idiot. I know that we just said that we were going to do A, but let's do <laughs> B, right? Nick, you, you know that this is the way that we should be doing things. And what it creates is an undocumented conversation. And this is a really negative aspect of um, generally all kind of like hybrid in, yeah. in office environments is there's a lot of undocumented conversations. So then the next morning we wake up and that worker that thought we were going to do A is now recognizing, oh, we're doing B. I thought we were going to adopt my idea. They either have to move into the office that they don't want to do to be closer to that decision maker, or they quit and they go find another job that's fully remote. I'd say it's a really interesting example that you've just given. I mean, there must be people listening to this going, yeah, that's kind of, I've experienced that in some way. You, you brought that home quite nicely. And it is a, it is a, it is a tidal wave of uh, frustrations that's popping up. We're already seeing it now, at least in the research that we're doing and that I'm reading. And this is only going to become a bigger and bigger problem where a lot of workers are going to become disenfranchised. They'll effectively become second class workers inside of these organizations. The way to solve for it is what I call asynchronous management. So the ability to be able to manage people without directly interacting with each other and giving everyone the same exact access to the decision maker that you would have had if they were remote or if they're in an office. But it's very, very difficult for a manager to be able to do that because of undocumented conversations inside of an office environment. Let's, let's hone in on that then, because that is one of my questions here, which you talk a lot about asynchronous communication being the bedrock of every successful remote business. So tell us a little bit more about what you mean by asynchronous communication and, and why it's the bedrock of successful remote businesses. Sure. So in studying all these remote pioneers over the last six years with the Running Remote Conference, I came to one interesting solution or conclusion, which was they implemented asynchronous management, which is the ability to be able to manage people without directly interacting with them. I think we were connected by Vaishali, who has worked for me for six years. Yeah. Uh, we work every single day together and we have met on video or in person five times during those six years. We don't interact in the same way that you would inside of an office environment. And the reason why we do that is because Vaishali can have her own autonomy on how she wants to be able to book um, podcast, you know, guests and PR pieces for me. And then I can have my own autonomy in, in how I want to actually execute on them. We have all of our processes, our systems, our project management systems, our task systems inside of our organization. So the manager ceases to become the manager and the platform actually becomes the manager of the organization. So if she asks a question, the better place for her to ask that question is actually in, inside of our internal wiki, as opposed to asking me directly. Uh, those are just a couple examples of how asynchronous organizations operate. And the beauty of them actually, and this might be, might be good, might be bad for people in your industry, is uh, we found that asynchronous organizations have a managerial layer about 50% thinner than their on-premise counterparts. So there are more people in asynchronous organizations doing work than there are people managing people doing work. 
And when you think about that, that just makes for a more efficient organization. You'll actually be able to solve harder problems. You'll be able to innovate faster if more people are doing work inside of the organization because a lot of the classical tasks that managers did in an office are effectively redundant inside of remote asynchronous teams because you don't necessarily have to work on the bureaucracy and the nuts and bolts of um of work you can only you only have to focus on the eq parts getting the vision focused getting that leadership i talk a lot about how i think there are no managers inside of asynchronous organizations there are only leaders because that's really what their current job is now inside of asynchronous organizations is to really direct their direct reports and getting them to a point in which they're more and more passionate about solving the hard problems inside of the company. So when you talk about those leaders, you talked right at the start of this uh, this podcast about outputs and then the way that we've changed now remote working. So who would then set those? If there isn't a ma- surely within a managerless managerless organization, you still have to have someone who's monitoring those outputs, setting those outputs, setting those goals. Who's, who's that done by? Is that, is that just a different type of manager? Was that, is that led by the leaders as you would, as you would call it before? Well, so the, the leaders are still managing all of that data. They're just not collecting it. So inside of our organization, we have 150 people in 43 different countries all over the world. Every single person has at least one quantifiable longitudinal variable metric that they have inside that they are measured by. And that information is put into a central database. We have a dashboard where I can see all of those data points. And more importantly, we adopt a philosophy of radical transparency inside of the organization. So everyone in the organization gets to see everybody's metrics. So the goal is that every single employee inside of the company should have the same informational advantage as the CEO of the company. And if you can do that, then it creates much better decision-making because every single team member has the autonomy to actually make decisions because they have the same information as the CEO. And then also when the CEO makes a decision that's very difficult, in the vast majority of cases, the team actually understands that it's a difficult decision and they recognize that it had to be made or a decision had to be made one way or the other because otherwise we would have run out of money in six months, as an example. We have a EMPS internally of 73. Uh, Most remote first asynchronous organizations have EMPSs around the 70 mark. And the reason why is autonomy and radical transparency. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. So how does it impact on things like, I'm just trying to think of as an HR director or manager listening to this now, you know, they can, okay, well, I get all of this and the examples there is giving you great, but what about teamwork? What about collaboration? Because I've seen some interesting articles myself on collaboration. You would argue that even in a remote-based environment, collaboration levels still increase, which surprised me because I would have thought things like collaboration would be better in an office-based environment, teamwork, would be stronger, certainly in my experience, when I mean, I work remotely, so I, can, I feel like I've got experience on both sides, but my team, who aren't remotely, we're based uh, 200 miles away, they seem to have a much closer-knit team than I would be part of because I'm remote from them. But maybe that'd be different if we were all remote, I don't know. 
Yeah. So two things that impact collaboration. Number one, we do collaborate more, but we did collaborate in different ways. So we have something as an example called silent meetings. So every single week I have a meeting with all of my direct reports, uh, our executive meeting, it's nine people. And we use Asana and we put in all of our issues that we want to talk about during that meeting. And then we debate them asynchronously. So we put in comments and we just debate that issue. And once we come to a conclusion, if we come to a conclusion, we put the conclusion at the top of the ticket and we clear the ticket. And if we have less than three tickets before we jump into a meeting, we don't have the meeting because we didn't need to have the meeting in the first yeah, place. Okay. We'd rather save everyone's 90 minutes. And the beauty of this is when I've looked at this and analyzed it, the issues that stay up in that meeting have nothing to do about, oh, there's churn inside of the business or man, our EMPS is down. It actually has to do with a deeper issue, which is Nick doesn't like Liam for some particular reason. And it's impacting the overall operation of the business as an example, or we're just about to lose someone because they feel disenfranchised inside of the organization. And we can't figure out how to come to a conclusion of that. So it's almost entirely EQ issues. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the actual like nuts and bolts and bureaucracy of the business. Those are very simple problems that can be solved very easily. And a lot of the things that we think are bureaucratic issues. When you go a little bit of a layer deeper, you actually find out it's all about people. And if you can just address those issues, put them out there. I like to say that the secret to life is being comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Have those for your synchronous meetings. Forget about everything else that's redundant. Fine. Oh, something I did write a read that was really interesting was uh, something you wrote in one of your articles, which is about how introverts could often rise to the top much faster in remote-based businesses which I don't know, I can understand from my perspective why that might be, but I'd love to hear from your side why you've seen that to be the case and why introverts can, you know, because in an introvert, being introverted it doesn't necessarily have any reflection or ability to do a job. So I thought this was really interesting. You know, if tell us a little bit about what you've, what you've discovered. Well, it doesn't impact your ability to do a job, but it does certainly impact your retention rates for remote work. It's probably, it is the most important factor uh, that impacts long-term retention is introversion. And the reason why is if you go into a boardroom today uh, and I don't even have to hear what the people are saying, I could just look at them. I could probably tell you, and you'd probably be able to tell me too, whose ideas get adopted most often. It's usually the white guy that's six foot two that looks like Captain America. Um, <laughs> that's the guy that ends up having his ideas adopted. Why? because he's a charismatic individual and charisma is not a bad, it, it's not a bad asset to have. It's incredibly important to be able to have, but inside of asynchronous remote teams where we're not interacting in that way, and you don't necessarily have to debate on the moment, a more introverted person that may actually have a much better idea can defend that idea and can convince others much more effectively through text form or through video or through recorded video, as an example, as opposed to discussing that in the moment. And this is something that, again, it is a, it's an interesting phenomenon. I wish there was a study done to be able to see, okay, well, if you're over six foot two, are your ideas automatically better? Um, I'm pretty sure they're not. I'm pretty yeah. sure they're actually just as good as everyone else's, but we seem to adopt those people's ideas overwhelmingly because they just are unconsciously the person that we see as the leadership individual inside of this organization. Sure. But the beauty of you know 21st century companies is it's all about ideas and being able to make sure that the best ideas float to the top of the organization. 
That's what asynchronous work does. It removes that wrapper and really just focuses on the work. It's really interesting for me to hear this because, you know, my, my profession is recruitment, right? This, we do it all over the world. Um, and when we're interviewing candidates, charisma often is something that we do pick up on and people do make decisions mm-hmm. based on who is charismatic, who is most extrovert at an interview scenario. So if we flip down its head a little bit, as an expert in the world of, of uh, remote working uh, teams, Liam, what should a hiring manager maybe listening to this, an HR director who perhaps does want to set up a remote team, maybe they're already working remotely and they're hiring for their business, a remote worker. What are the different kind of qualities or what are the qualities perhaps they should be looking out for? So definitely introversion. Uh, one of the most important factors to be able to at least optimize for retention. Um, and it depends on what you're really looking for, right? If sure. you're trying to optimize for retention, if you're trying to optimize for someone that's going to like rise throughout the organization, maybe you're looking for something different, <clears throat> but that's a really big one. Um, the ability to be able to communicate through textual formats is really important. So are you are you good at writing? Can you describe yourself effectively when you are writing? Can you write your emails effectively? Um, so I might just even try doing an exchange on uh, Slack as an example with a lot of people and just see how they communicate. Can they, can they describe a particular issue without actually jumping on a Zoom call? That's a really important factor to take into consideration. And then also just recognizing, uh, and this is a major aspect that almost entirely connects back to the emotional part of work, but always assume positive intent. So this is a big negative aspect of remote work, which is if you, if I send you an email, like, please fix this as an example, you might, you might infer that I am frustrated um, with that. And I really try to make sure that in all of my interactions, I'd say, instead of just please fix this, fix this, I'd say, Hey, Nick, this is Liam. Looks like we've got an issue here. Could you take a look at it and possibly, you know, fix it up for tomorrow? I really need this done. And i I'm sorry that I didn't get to you earlier, you know, with this particular issue or something like that. It's a much more positive way to look at it. But a lot of people infer negative intent in communication, and you just need to be able to always infer positive intent until you actually sit down with that person. Um, make sure that you're saying, yeah, okay, this is this is a neg- this is a positive interaction that I'm having because a lot of people will sit for three or four weeks yeah. and think to themselves, man. Nick doesn't like me. And that negative feedback loop just builds in their mind, which ends up creating much more distrust between those two coworkers. And interestingly, though, I would argue that um, that's not confined to remote working. I think you can't read tone. And um, that, that's the interesting part here. But actually, we've, most businesses now, whether you're in the office or whether you're not, employees have become keyboard warriors. And people mm-hmm. find it easier to send an email than to have a conversation. So I would argue, even if in an office environment, the same is true. The same negative feedback loops can occur because you've sent an email. People have re- haven't read the tone of that email correctly. And then it yeah. all kicks off. So I don't think that really changes whether you're remote or whether you're in the office. It's interesting. I can understand why it be, might be more important in a remote environment. But it's interesting you said at the start of this interview, well, actually, when we do meetings, sometimes we'll do pre-recorded video. And actually, that might overcome that problem straight off the bat because you can see and you can hear the tone, you can hear the way it's delivered. So there are ways Absolutely. of overcoming this both internal uh, and external, I would have thought. One other point that I would address, too, is if you're in an office, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't implement asynchronous management philosophy. Sure. So you can actually implement processes, project management systems, the ability to be able to communicate on an equal playing field. Like these are things that you can absolutely do inside of an office environment. It's just a little bit more difficult because a lot of people have the same kind of um, 
I guess the, it's a lot easier for people to kind of hang out at the coffee shop for 15 minutes and kind of have like that undocumented meeting as opposed to doing something formally. Sure. Uh, but it isn't, it, it can be done. There are companies that are currently doing it today. Do, do you think that it's the asyncratic sort of management style that is the future of management or is it just the way that you, do you think it'll be widely adopted enough for it to be the future of work? Or is that something that I know that you're obviously, you're very passionate about it, but it isn't widely yes. adopted as far as I'm aware yet. But do you, do you see that coming? Yeah, relatively new concept. It was really only shared as a forcing function for remote first companies pre-pandemic because they had team members all over planet Earth, so they couldn't actually communicate with everyone synchronously. So they had to figure out a different methodology to interact with people a la asynchronous management. And I actually think that this is quite possibly a model T moment versus a horse and buggy. I don't know if you know the biggest population of horses on planet earth, but it was 1915. uh, And that was also the same year that the Model T rolled off the production line. So I actually think we're seeing a transition. And I think in the next 10 years, there'll be more of a discussion about asynchronous management and an asynchronous mindset towards work than remote work itself. I think it's that important in terms of understanding where work is going because these companies that are implementing this philosophy are the fastest growing companies in the world. Um, you know, th- these companies are growing so, so quickly. And I think you're going to hear a lot more about these companies over the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, people are already aware that the biggest companies in the world in certain areas don't actually own the product they manage anyway. Right. So whether it's the biggest hotel company doesn't own any hotels, whether it's taxi companies doesn't own any taxis, the world that we work in and live in has already changed without us necessarily noticing it's suddenly they're just the biggest and the greatest that's happened so fast. You talked a lot though about what I'm really intrigued by this, this management philosophy. And I don't want to take it too far away from the remote piece, but I think they're, they're so closely aligned. It's worth just focusing on for a little bit longer because I know that you say that, you know, management in, you mentioned this earlier on today, management in remote first organizations is essentially redundant, but you, you have focused a lot on, on why leadership is important. So I'd love to know where is the distinctional difference for you between a leader and a manager and where are the things that we need to focus on for the future and and keep making redundant going forward yeah so managers play a game of telephone collecting people's metrics sending them up the line um they're barriers towards interacting with other team members inside of the organization they control the speed at which work occurs they make sure that you don't necessarily outshine your manager is a major problem inside of organizations like that leadership is to me, very much the opposite. Number one, no documentation of metrics. Metrics are automated. So we're let's not even talk about them. If you don't have your metrics ready and they're not shared with everyone inside of your organization, then there's no real point um, to us actually getting into the deeper issues of your work. They focus on the vision of the company. They focus on the goals, the big, hairy, audacious goal that you want to accomplish inside of your organization. Our vision, as an example, is we want to empower the world's transition towards remote work. So if people are not absolutely level 10 excited about doing that inside of the company, then don't work in the company anymore. And using that as a filtering process and a constant, um, a constant kind of almost farming of that vision and reinforcing it with everyone inside of the organization. I would much rather have my quote unquote managers focus on that and get people excited about doing their jobs as opposed to them hating their jobs and us just sitting around saying, okay, well, did you get your TI 32 report in uh, today while you sip the cup of coffee? I don't know what that movie was from. I think it was from (laughs) Office Space or something. That's not what a manager should be. A manager should be actually 
the, I think the biggest goal of a manager should be removing distractions from their direct reports. And unfortunately today, the vast majority of those distractions come from the manager. So they need to remove themselves from that process and just allow people to actually do their best work. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it, it makes total sense. So look, really important Then we've got an HR director, an HR manager listening to this. Maybe they want to move to a, a remote-based model. Maybe they've already moved to it, but they're not quite sure how to keep it sustained. What are some of the steps, some of the advice you could give to someone who is passionate about adopting some of the things you've talked about today, moving their business to a remote-based environment? What are the things they need to consider? What, what are the first kind of baby steps they should start making in order to, to make this a successful transition? Well, very first step is go to runningremote.com slash book, and you can check out the book that I've written on that particular yeah. subject. But then outside of that, actually inside of that webpage, I have the real, like a, like an onboarding process for implementing remote asynchronous work. And the biggest thing that you can do there is I would challenge everyone inside of the organization to write down a five page document and I call it how to do my job. So take that, take an afternoon, write it down. You can link out to other sources. It's got to be under five pages because it's got to be consumable in a way that it's concise and people can understand it. Take that document, give it to someone that's not in your department and ask them, do you understand this? Tell me three things you do not understand about this document. Do that about three to four times, and then you will actually have process documentation for your entire organization. You will have redundancy. You will remove the sacred knowledge inside of the organization, and those team members will cease to be owning particular positions, and they will start to become the operators of that position, where you can start to see opportunities to say, you're spending 75% of your time moving a moving a spreadsheet cell from here to there. I mean, that's stupid. <laughs> Let's just build a piece of software to have that automated for you so you can actually work on something that's more important. And the vast majority of wasted time that I find, unfortunately, is inside of the mid-manager tier inside of organizations. They can be working on much more difficult problems. They can be focused on focusing on leadership when you actually remove all the bureaucracy and the redundancies of kind of on-premise synchronous work. So let me reverse engineer the question then for those that sure. uh, are are fearful of making the shift. Perhaps they want to do it. Perhaps they believe they can work remotely, but they're not convinced their teams can yet. They are scared about the distractions that lie ahead in terms of if my employees are at home, throw an example out there, how would I possibly know they're not spending all their time on, on YouTube or Google or whatever else it might be? You know, how am I going to make sure their outputs are there? How do I change from this, the model we have now to an output led you know, structure. Are there any steps right. you can give to help ally those fears? So I think probably number one, unfortunately, that decision is going to be made for you. The market has already made the decision and you have to adapt. So I know that you have fears inside of, you know, your organization where you're thinking to yourself, man, how could we transition? I don't really like this. I mean, that's effectively sticking your head in the sand. Yeah. The switch has happened, right? We're never going back to this previous way of working even though there are some people that believe this is where we are going to switch back, it's never going to go back to the way that it was. The genie is out of the bottle and more specifically your A players, your 20% of your workforce that generates 80% of your work. Those are the people that see remote work as table stakes. So you have to be able to adapt to them. The other part is if you're focusing on outputs, right? An output based organization, then you just have to optimize for your feedback loops. So am I doing 
uh, so as an example, we usually have uh, metrics reporting weekly. So sometimes we have it daily, right? If it's automated, we could do it daily. But if it's not automated, at minimum, we have it um, weekly. So every single week, you submit how many leads I generated, how many sales did I get, uh, you know, how many lines of code did I write, if that's the one that you want to actually yeah. define. And then you can track that longitudinally. And if that starts to drop, then you need to have a conversation with that particular worker. But if it's up and to the right, hey, you know what? You're doing great. And uh, you need to be able to just continue on with that. And, and I also think inside of this, I mean, I've done a lot of research inside of Time Doctor, which if you want to be able to do some time tracking for remote teams, it's definitely a great option that you can take advantage of. But fundamentally, going on Facebook as an example for 15 minutes a day is actually counterintuitively going to make employees more productive. Uh, in their time. Work doesn't happen on your schedule. And it's really important to turn work, to not turn working at home into living at work. So yeah, I agree. Really focus on said. those yeah. blocked out times. Say, hey, I'm working from nine to five. And yeah, at noon, I'm taking lunch off and I'm going to jump onto YouTube and play on Facebook <laughs> yeah, that, for an hour. And that's fine. You know, like that actually might be the best way for me to decompress from my first uh, from my first session of work and prepare me for my next session. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think one thing that's become really apparent and, and in my previous podcast and what I've seen the world change from a recruitment perspective is we need to remember that burnout is very possible without recovery periods. And if it's 15 minutes on Facebook and you see them do that online, you see your member employees on Facebook for 15 minutes, it's okay. We, we need recovery in our life in order to perform optimally. It's, it's just making sure that we're not, you know, we're managing that carefully. And as you say, I think the examples you gave make perfect sense to me because you know in elite sport and everything else you have recovery built in we don't do that in work and we need to make sure mm. we have those those opportunities to recover you mentioned that, of course um your uh, amazing conference uh, running remote which is the world's largest remote work conference tell us a little bit more about your conference the running remote business and also of course the book which you just mentioned there will be a link for those listening in the show notes where you can go directly through both to the conference link if you're interested in attending and to uh, get a copy of the book uh, directly as well. So don't worry, go to the show notes and find both those links. But while I've got you here, Liam, one, if you can tell us, leave me a little bit more about, uh, about both. Sure. So Running Remote is really focused on, again, that core mission of empowering the world's transition towards remote work. And for us, it's really, do you want to learn the strategies and the tactics to be able to go from a small business that might have a few remote employees to hundreds and thousands of remote workers. How do you actually manage remote teams at scale is really the focus of the running remote conference. And we have founders from everywhere. We've got the CIO of Zoom coming. Uh, we've got people from Slack coming, from Microsoft Teams, a bunch of EORs, which is another kind of secondary industry that's absolutely huge inside of remote work. So we've got all those people coming to one particular place. And I know that a lot of people critique me for having a physical conference about remote work. And they they actually uh, make fun of me quite a bit, to be completely honest with you. But it was a question I was going to gonna actually, ask you, actually. Is it remote yes. or is it in person? So there's a bit of so focus. Ev everyone, remote work doesn't mean we work from our computers 100% of the time. Yeah. Remote work means we work from our computer the majority of the time. And we when we want to actually collaborate synchronously, we do it at as high level as humanly possible. So in-person is a really great way to be able to get that interaction effect happening as, as quickly as humanly possible. So we've got that on the running remote uh, conference side. The book is coming out in August. I'd love for you to read it. It's really focused almost entirely. I wanted to call it async, but my publisher wouldn't let me. Um, it's focused on this 
weird, crazy thing that I found, which is asynchronous management and how I think it's going to completely change the way that work is done. And then if you can't afford either of those things, go to youtube.com slash running remote. We put all of our talks up for free. So if you want to just consume free talks, go to that YouTube channel through there. Great. Well, I'll make sure that link is also in the uh, in the show notes. And just for those listening to this, you can pre-order Running Remote. I've got a link here, which I'll put in the show notes from Waterstones here in the UK uh, as well. So I'll put that link in the show notes for those that are interested in pre-ordering the book. Um, it is coming out soon. It sounds like it's going to be a very relevant book for those really keen on mastering remote work. And as you said, uh, the genie's out the bottle. They're going to need to master it now or later. This is an opportunity for everybody to get ahead by uh, getting a copy of that now and, and finding out what it's all about. And of course, the conference, by the way, I think you've underplayed it. If you go online and check out this conference, for those listening, it is quite a quite a phenomenon. So do have a look at that if you're interested in finding out more. Uh, 20, 20 plus of amazing speakers, loads going on. You can, you can, you can attend in person, but you've got some virtual stuff going on as well. So yeah, really, really good. So Lynn, it's been an absolute pleasure um, exploring the subject of remote work in the in more detail. I'm, I think it's here to stay. I'm really excited to see how the leadership principles uh, materialize in the future as well. I love the way that you view the world. And, um, you know, I think you're, you're in the right place at the right time by the sounds of things. I know it's been there for many years and you've been doing this for 20 years, but I've never seen in my world of recruitment, I've done recruitment for 20 years, uh, the shift towards remote work in a, in a, in a greater guise than it is right now. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to see you at the, the, the forefront of, uh, of making this happen. Yeah, I, I'm excited too. Uh, thanks for having me. I think that when we think about where remote work is gone, a lot of people have been telling me, at least the newer people that have joined remote work, they're just, they really want to kind of get this thing moving and oh, we're going to get to the point where almost everyone on planet earth is going to work remotely. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that there's always going to be office jobs. They're not going to disappear, but um, it's really exciting to be able to see this movement from someone who, when I started, Man, I mean, 0.1% of the population was yeah. working remotely. Now, 45% of the workforce is working remotely. It's crazy. I think one of the things I've uh, just mentioned as a story, really, as a recruiter that I've seen really interesting, I've seen, um, we're seeing obviously the, the great resignation or the great awakening when we want to look at it. And it's generally happening over here in the UK in particular, we're seeing lots of movement. We're seeing people move jobs because their employers don't offer them remote work and they want to stay remote. Right. So they leave and they go, well, I'm going to vote with my feet. I'm going to find a company that does. And you mentioned at the start of this episode, what I'm finding really interesting is the employers they are leaving. They'll often come to us and say, Nick, we need support recruiting and we need this individual. And I'll say, but you don't support remote working. We do now. And it's like, if you'd offered this just a little bit earlier, you wouldn't have lost uh -huh. the individual in the first place. It would need you to come to me to try and replace it. What companies are doing is they're reacting, I think, a little bit too slow to the phenomenon because they're losing talent. They don't have to lose if they make the shift earlier, but they're realizing mm -hmm. they have to make the shift in order to get the talent back in at the same level that they're losing it or that talent won't come to them. It's a really interesting thing for me to see from a bird's eye view because I'm looking at it going, if you had made that shift a few months earlier, those individuals that left your business never would have left in the first place because we know mm. their motivations for moving. It's just a really interesting thing to see. I think people are making the transition, but they're making yeah. it reactive when talent's already left the door and they could be a little bit more proactive, I think. Remote work um, is table stakes. It is table stakes now. You can't not offer remote yeah. work if you want to be able to be a successful 21st century company. And that's just, if I could just leave people with that, it's really important to be able to implement some type of policy because if you don't have it, you are going to get caught. I mean, it just, even for us um, as a separate aside, which is one other story that I'll add to this, we have personally been hammered 
by a lot of the very large tech companies. So we've had companies like Facebook and Google and, um, and a lot of other tech companies that have come to our labor force. And I think they actually almost have us like bookmarked where they're <laughs> thinking, all right, well, these guys have been working remotely for 12 years. They're an amazing company. They've got fantastic people in them, but we never would have hired them pre-pandemic because we didn't work remotely. And now yeah. because people are working remotely, we are losing people to all of these large tech companies. So you also have to take into consideration that not only are these people quitting because they're frustrated about remote work, but it's never easier to get a remote job than today. So yeah, the sure. transition process is so, so fast and easy. You need to protect yourself against these things. Implement remote work or die. Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's the best way to leave the show. All right, absolutely great way to finish. So, Liam, thank you ever so much for joining me today on the HLND podcast. Of course, if you are an HR or LND professional listening to this show, you need support with a vacancy, with it remote or not, doesn't matter. We're here to help. So, do give me a call or one of my team. You can get us at www.jjrecruitment.com. And of course, all the links to the, the things we discussed today at Running Remote will be available in the show notes. So, just needs to say one more time thank you, Liam Martin, for joining me today on the HR LND podcast. I look forward to bringing you the next episode real soon. Thank you, Liam. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.